Hi, and welcome to I Got You Podcast. Today's topic is Ask the Therapist. My name is Renee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Heather and Keisha. We are also joined by our subject matter expert, Terry Evans-Knight. Terry is a licensed marriage and family therapist with several years of experience. She maintains a private practice in Norwalk, Connecticut for about 10 years now with a focus in marriage and couple conflict, family conflict, adolescent and anxiety issues, among others. Terry, welcome. 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 Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to being a part of this panel this afternoon. Yes. Yeah. All right. So I'll start it off, Terry. Because I'm really curious on this one. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you agree with the notion that people within the Black community are not as affectionate as other cultures? And if so, how does that translate into our relationships? Mm. Hmm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very that's a ve- that's actually a very loaded question right there in and of itself. Yeah. Um, if, you know in terms of different cultures and especially in the black culture but in various cultures whether it is european culture african-american culture or african diaspora culture um, whether it's asian culture there are cultural specifics so there can be um, that can actually exist on on a spectrum Mm -hmm. so within those communities there is a spectrum in terms of maybe reserved to the very expressive. And that's what we also find within the black culture or the black community, especially in the United States and the African diaspora. We find that, and a lot of it has to do with, um, a lot of it has to do with family dynamics. What were some of the key aspects of, of the family dynamics growing up? Were you raised by someone who was very, very expressive, Mm -hmm. was very, very affectionate, was very um, loving in the sense of embracing, or were you raised by someone who was very reserved? That didn't mean they didn't love you, that didn't mean they didn't care for you, but it meant that they withheld some of their emotional connections. And that makes, you know, such a huge difference. And in terms of relationships, how that impacts a relationship, um, oftentimes you will have opposites meeting or being attracted to, you know, the opposite set, you know, the opposite on that spectrum. And that could be someone who's from a very expressive part of the black community with someone who's part of a very reserved part. I was recently working with Mm -hmm. a couple and um, the, the male was actually from Haiti. And mm. he was raised by uh, a, a pretty authoritarian family in the sense that you are to be basically seen but not heard in the family. There was no interaction in terms of um, how was your day? The parents said, this is kind of how we run our ship and you are along for the ride Um, and he's coupled with a very expressive young woman who's from an african-american community in the Mm. south and in that she's very expressive her father was very very expressive he asked her actually she even said that her father taught her about how to be a young lady Mm. when she had her menstrual cycle Um, versus her mother, which was very, very unique and and different. Um, However, they had to really learn how to work with their different styles. That's that's interesting that you said that, Terry, because is there a difference that you find with, say, Caribbean people and um, African-American people? Because I feel like having grown up in the Caribbean, I think that we were we were reared not to really show affection. I can't remember, you know, my mom is a loving person, but I don't think that she showed enough affection. I didn't get it from my dad. So I think you're you're right. You know, our backgrounds kind of shape the way we operate in our relationships as we get older. And I think when I think about Caribbean people, I, I see that there's a trend 
in that versus, say, an African-American person? Do you, do you think um, so? Well, actually, um, I've had a lot of experience in both. My husband yeah. is actually from the, his family has roots in the Caribbean. So I've had a lot of experience um, with that, as well as from my private practice. A number of my clients are from the Caribbean. Yeah. However, I've also <laughs> had extensive experience in the black community. And I have found, again, it's very much on the spectrum. I hear this frequently mm -hmm. in terms of, um, you know, pretty much being, uh, children being, you know, basically more expressive. I think a lot of that has come out in the last 20 or 30 years. Prior to that, there was a very different way in which families um, basically raised their children. There was, there was a very strong arm approach to raising their families, especially um, it, well, it didn't matter whether you were from the South or whether you were from the North yeah. in, in the U.S., um, but I think there is this misconception that within the Black families in the U.S. that, um, that they're more expressive, but it really depends on that family unit. Wow. I, I believe a lot has to do with um, basically the area in which you grow up the dynamics of that area in terms of whether it is um, culturally, you know, kind of flamboyant in a sense. Yeah. Is there is there a lot of warmth in terms of the weather, in terms of that expression, and that also plays a part in terms of how people communicate with one another. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're from a warmer climate, oftentimes people are more embraceive, but that doesn't mean that the cultural norms in the family lined up with that. Hmm. Yeah, because I think I'm the opposite, because my dad and my mom, they did show love. You know, my mom always hugged and kissed, I loved you, and my dad as well, so. And that's being raised in Jamaica as well, so. Like you said, it depends on the person, or the family. And but the family. I had the opposite. Mm -hmm. And do you think that we, we typically are attracted to the opposite of us? I know you spoke a little bit about that. Oftentimes, at least in my practice, that is what I'm finding. Um, many wow. people tend to look for, it's almost as if they're looking for a piece of themselves mm -hmm. that is different. That is what I have found. And, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you acknowledge that's what you're looking at. Because in the initial stages in a relationship, you're looking for that different thing that maybe matches up with you. But that different thing can also cause many problems in your relationship later on. Right. <laughs> because it is so it is so different in a sense. It is so different. That doesn't mean that you cannot work out your differences, but you're gonna really have to be open to the idea of embracing those differences and looking for things that you're that you line up with in terms of values. Mm. Right? in terms of expectations, those are really critical and key. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. okay. So we, I know you specialize in, in, in trauma and um, do you think, what are some of the, the emotional traumas that we in the black community like go through and how do we address those traumas so we could have healthier relationships going forward? Because I, I know this for a lot of us, we have traumas that, that are, you know, not addressed and this tend to affect our relationships. How can we do better at addressing those traumas to have healthier relationships? Absolutely. Um, a lot of the trauma has to do, I mean, one of the things that we're seeing right now is the systemic trauma that is running rapid within the United States at this point. So yeah. that is really a biggie right there. Being able to identify that and call it out, name it for what it is, mm -hmm. and understanding the history behind that. So, you know, 400 years ago, there was a system that was put into place, right? It was put into place and there was a hierarchy. So if we, if we don't really understand that history behind it, yeah. it's very difficult to understand where we are right now and working through those traumas. So the trauma in terms of education, yeah. in, tra in, tra in terms of not getting the best education possible, um, the trauma in terms of 
unemployment or underemployment, right? Um, not developing our skill set. The trauma in terms of um, substance abuse and not dealing with the pain that we've been subjected to, you know, as a community at large. Our families have been broken up in many cases. We have um, oftentimes our we don't have the supports that are built into our network and that is really critical is to be able to have those supports absolutely so do you think that there's a stigma we're talking about um trauma mm -hmm. do you oftentimes things think that there's a stigma attached to black people coming and seeking help from a therapist to deal with these traumas absolutely absolutely it really hasn't been until the last say 15 years that it's been open for people of color to go for therapy, to really reach out and seek therapy. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, just the stigma that has been a, a assessed to it, mm -hmm. number one, as well as what has helped to make a little bit of a change. There, there has been a change in terms of um, commercialism. Maybe there have been different TV shows or there have been different movies that have said, you know, going and working with a therapist yeah. would help you. And, and that has opened the door, especially um, it, it's been customary within upper middle class white families um, to go and see supports whenever there was a problem within the relationship or whenever there was a problem with the children. But that hasn't been um, as widely experienced or exposed in the black community. And it was, it was um, at, at one point it was considered, we keep our, our dirty laundry yeah. in our own community, right. right? We don't share that. We keep it at home. We never talk about that with anyone else. And that's, caused a lot of problems and it's exasperated the problem with um, with trauma victims in right. because that silence that silence keeps it compact and that's and that's even more detrimental to the person who has experienced the trauma as well as the family and oftentimes there may be um, sexual abuse, domestic yeah. violence in the home, but that's kept hush hush. We don't talk about that. Right. So, right. so what? Let's talk about why is it important that these traumas really need to be addressed? Because I think it's important that people know that you you need to address these traumas. I mean, recognize them as one, but why is it important that you actually you know to address your traumas so that you don't affect the relationships? that you're in? Oh, the, the most important thing mm -hmm. is that it it destroys the inner workings of that person. So yeah. if that person isn't healed, if that person isn't whole, it impacts the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, in terms of um, the different pieces of, of the experience of trauma, mm -hmm. not being able to express what happened to you and to have your voice heard is really critical, yeah. right? Not, not, you know, not allowing someone to hear your story, to witness your story, is really half of the work that I do with trauma victims or someone who's been exposed to trauma. Yeah, that's very yeah. important. No, Terry. Speaking of trauma, though, is it? Have you seen a lot of clients that had childhood trauma and they haven't spoken about it? As it does that affect their friendship, and does it affect also the relationship that they're in? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, they they kind of brush it off in a sense. They brush it off, and it doesn't start percolating again until they're in their oftentimes in their maybe early thirties to mm -hmm. early forties. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that. Well, you know, you go through your teenage years, you're kind of exploring, you know, life is good for the most part. You're, you're just dealing with a lot of different things. So the, the life stage is a little different. You go into your 20, 20s, you're trying to figure out 
who am I today, right? You know, what am I about? Have I, you know, have I pursued my education? Have I pursued um, other interests? And then you start settling down a little bit into your 30s. And then at that point, it's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not feeling connected to my partner. Or I feel that there's a void. Yeah. Or, and then things start coming up. Or they start shutting down. Or they start having maybe flashbacks in terms of, you know, something that happened in, a pa- in the past. I was recently working with a young man um, who was a minister, and he was in his early 40s, basically, and never really gone for therapy, but he was finding that he was um, listening to some of his parishioners or some mm-hmm. of the people that were coming into his, his church, and they were telling some of the stories about abuse and trauma that they had experienced. And this awakened some wow. of the unsettledness that he was having. And that's when he reached out to say, you know, I really need to address this yeah. because this is more than I can handle. And he, you know, again, he was very high functioning, had no real problems, was in a secure relationship. But when he started thinking about, hmm, some of these relationships with my mom, mm. um, you know, are really starting to come out. And I'm really struggling with, you know, some of these issues. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so um, as it relates to, because we're just talking about, you mentioned in your 30s, you kind of get settled in, and a lot of the things come, come up. So my thought is, do you believe that men go through their midlife crisis earlier um, than you say 20 years ago? And what are some of those reasons why they go through this midlife crisis? You know, it's, it's pretty interesting when you ask that question about midlife crisis, because I, I did a little research on that. And, yeah. you know, where did this idea, where did this construct of midlife crisis come from? And basically, you know, it's pretty interesting. It came from a, a researcher or an analyst um, who was originally from Canada yeah. in the 1950s, I think in 1957 or so. And he did some research on artists, basically, artists and, you know, what they were going through. And at that time, um, what he found that the average lifespan mm-hmm. for a man was about 52. So he was in his 30s at that point, he was mid-30s, and he was struggling with depression. And, you know, his life was going really well at that point, and and he's like, I don't understand why I'm feeling so depressed. And a lot of it has to do with the reality or the accepting the fact that you're almost to the point of demise right (laughs) you're starting to think about well um you know if i'm 36 life is at 52 i'm getting pretty close to Mm -hmm. that right and so now you know kind of in modern day and we look at it um it typically i mean it's it's part of our culture now but in the early 60s, 70s, 80s, I mean, it was really new. It was really for middle and upper class individuals who had a lot of time on their hand, who had extra money on their hands so they could have extra mistresses, you know, they could have a mistress, they could buy fancy cars. And now, um, you know, there's, there's not as much of a distinguishing factor. I mean, if you're employed, you can save your money. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you say, hmm, you know, maybe I haven't achieved the goal that I want. Right. Maybe I'm thinking back to my relationship. Is this what relationships are really supposed to be about? Is, you know, and, you know, I'm married. I I did everything that I was supposed to do. Like I committed to this person. Um, I have kids with them. I have a nice house. I have a nice car, but I still feel overweight. Mm. Where is that coming from? Where is that coming from? So sometimes it, um, and that's one of the things I like to work on with couples in my practice is it's really important to do work as an individual. And, you know, especially as an individual, 
and as you come together as as a couple you still have that that individual self mm -hmm. and that's and I think with midlife crises um, that individual seems to get lost sometimes mm -hmm. and so if we're speaking within the black community um, the difference is that you know maybe we have more time to think about things right um, Maybe we're not necessarily doing the things that we want. Maybe we are doing the things that we want. Maybe we're a professional athlete. Maybe we're a professional singer. Maybe we're a professional dancer. Maybe we're um, a business um, entrepreneur. I mean, there's so many different things. But after you've gone down that checklist and you check, 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 and you get to the end and you say, what's what left? Next? Mm. Yeah, what's, what's next? Have, have we really done, you know, as a community, have we really done the work internally for ourselves, whether it is our connection to our spirituality or to God or our connection to um, a sense of purpose? Mm -hmm. Are we leaving those pieces out? And so your question in terms of are we, is that happening earlier? You know, is it happening earlier in the life cycle? I don't see it happening, I mean, unless you're in the upper echelons or, you know, maybe if if you've um, found another way to make money very quickly, mm -hmm. you know, in, in some form or fashion, and you have all of the material things at, say, 30, and then you're making a question, you know, what more is there to life? Right. right. But I, I think... When we talk about midlife crisis, I think we kind of, maybe not in a definition that's out there, but we think about men just kind of acting up, you know, mm -hmm. want this fancy car, you know, wants to have a, another girl on the side or something like that. But it seems to me that um, you, when you talk about it, you, you talk about a void, you know. I think that if it comes to self-awareness, if, if you realize that you're starting to act this way and feel a certain type of way, it's more than just a midlife crisis, right? It's actually avoid maybe that you're missing in your life and if you're self-aware to know this and say you know what let me calm down and figure out what's going on with me why I'm acting this way absolutely yeah. absolutely a lot of it has to do with okay let me go outside maybe outside my relationship mm -hmm. or outside my family because maybe I can find that missing piece out there yeah and and that's I mean, of course, that's the path that a lot of men tend to take. Mm -hmm. It's typically men who take that path. I mean, not that women can't take the path because there are some women who will do that. But typically men will take that path and and they still are not necessarily satisfied. And so that right. that time frame might last three to, to ten years, right? And then oh, what happens after that? They want to come back to, you know, back home. <laughs> three to ten years. <laughs> They might want to come back all the time. Oh my gosh! Right. Wow. Okay. Oh, that's a long time. So, yeah, for for men, for women, it's usually two to five years. Oh wow. Yes. Oh. Two to five years, and it usually happens around thirty-five to sixty-five. So it can be. I mean, it can stay because now we're living so much longer. Yeah. Right? I mean, back in the fifties, it was you know average lifespan. You know. 52, 60 years old. That was average. I mean, of course, people lived longer mm -hmm. and people lived shorter lives. But now our lifespans are longer. So that's why that midlife crisis can also be longer. So, you know, typically we were thinking before it's in, you know, 35, 40. Now it could be up to 64, 65. Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to talk about, um, in, in our, some of our previous episodes, we talk about honesty. And a lot of the, the guys in the episodes, they would say, you know, women can't handle honesty. And there's like a, it was a, a, a mood about, you know, honesty being this like harsh way of communicating. Like to be honest, it means, okay, you know what, you, you say this harshly and the person has to, to, to deal with it. But I don't feel that way. I think you can communicate honestly without being harsh or being blunt. I just want to know, if there, are there effective ways of communicating honestly 
in a way that doesn't really come across as harsh or blunt, but you can get your point across to, in your relationship with, with somebody. Oh, absolutely. If, yeah. You know, again, I think it boils down, you know, in my opinion, it boils down to respect in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that, I mean, so you can be brutally honest, but you can be honest in a way that's respectful. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Right? It's it's a way that's, that can be received and that can be heard. Mm -hmm. So if someone's, you know, being honest and they're calling you out of your name, or if somebody's being honest in terms of, you know, what you have on or how you work you're wearing your hair or, right. you know, something like that, right? You know, they're being honest. Yeah, that might be their opinion, but can they say it in a way that is respectful? Yes. They can be honest and be respectful, but I think oftentimes that's not the case. That's that's not the case. And that's where we, you know, that's where couples or uh, partners run into issues in terms of, of being honest. Yeah, because I, I don't want somebody coming at me and saying, you know, I'm being honest, but it comes off as really, I don't think I'll receive that, you know, and I always say, you know, you can be honest, but you can be kind with it. And some people think that you can't, like, it's either you're honest or you're not, <laughs> you know? But is that, a is that a style of communication, right? Mm. Is that a style? And then let's look at what were the role models? Okay. You know, what were their role models at home? or in their community. So if you grew up in a community and uh, or in your home and your your father or your mother were respectful of one another. I mean, yeah, they had differences. They had they disagreed, they were arguing, but they argued in a respectful way. But if they argued in a way that, you know, the man and oftentimes the man is larger, but he doesn't have to be larger, but is more aggressive. Mm -hmm. If he's more aggressive and he runs up on his partner, um, what does that feel like? Does that feel like a loving relationship? Right. You have to say, is, is that the kind of relationship that I really want to have if I'm going to be honest with someone? Are you, are you going to be fearful at that point? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Right? Right. Can't do it. And exactly. Is is he or she, it can be a she, are they intimidating you? Right. Exactly. Good point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oftentimes, I mean, I've been working with some couples, I mean, especially with COVID, couples that I hadn't had any issue with in terms of domestic violence mm -hmm. or you know, being more aggressive with COVID it really has pushed things you know pushed the envelope envelope out there a little yeah. bit more whether it's differences in terms of you know um, one partner goes out and buys groceries and comes back in and doesn't wash the groceries the other <laughs> wanted them to wash the groceries right yeah. you know it's like the one partner got really angry uh, because uh, the partner that stayed home said, I don't want you leaving and going out and getting something else to eat. And he's like, you can't tell me when and where I can eat. He comes back home and he jumps all over her. Right. I mean, it, it gets really, you know, it's a real fine line at that point, right? Yeah. And so they were just starting out just having a conversation, but it blew up very quickly. Right. Wow. So, I guess, is that a part of, like, most, the question I have, in terms of emotional intelligence, right, what does it take for a person to realize their underlying issues or imperfections that they have for themselves and also what they're bringing to a relationship? Hmm. How, do you, how, do you, how do you get to realize what your issues are and work on that? <laughs> a lot of times I know we blame our partners for everything yeah and we're not looking at ourselves and what we're doing exactly and that is I mean it reminds me of a Michael Jackson song the man looking looking in the oh mirror. okay yeah right looking in the mirror at at ourselves first before we point the finger at our partner and so if if you're finding yourself you know kind of in this cycle of blame 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 yeah. let's look at you know let's take a minute out and let's see you know what's going on here right um, at that point and, and before it gets to be 
you know, months or years of that negative cycle of blame, 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 arguing, screaming, yelling, you know, being, you know, pretty aggressive towards one another. Yeah. That's when I say it's, it's important to either educate yourself, go out and seek counseling, whether it's through your religious services area, your pastor, whether it's through a therapist, Go for, you know, a couple's retreat. I mean, now it's a little difficult because of the environment that we're living in, but there are things that you can do on your own or individually to say, hey, I'm noticing this isn't the idea I had in terms of a healthy relationship. I know something's off. I don't know what it is, but I know something is off. So until, you know, you don't want it to be stretched out to years and years. And, and unfortunately, as a therapist, <laughs> that's when I see couples. It's not, you know, they're not taking that, those initial steps. steps. They're, they're really not taking, you know, they're not saying, okay, this hasn't been working for a couple of months. We need to, you know, I really need to, you know, kind of address this now versus, you know, five years in, and then they come to therapy, and they think this should be changed in two weeks. Two weeks, right? yeah. <laughs> right, right. That makes sense. How do you feel the ones that said they don't, they don't feel like they have any problems? Like, there's nothing wrong with me. Well, a, a lot of, exactly, mm-hmm. and a lot of that is about denial, right? How, how can we, how can we say we want to just better ourselves on a daily basis as an individual? Are they working to better themselves as an individual on a daily basis? Yeah. I mean, that, that could be a question that you asked. It's like, are we, you know, are we getting better as individuals? And therefore, we can be better as a couple together or in partnership sure. together. All right. So, um, all right. So this is interesting to me, this other question, right? So in one of our other shows we had battle of the sexes and we're talking about which sex communicates better (laughs) and the the men were like the women sucking vice versa so there was no real um resolution to that question so my question to you is based on your experience what would you say as to the to which sex communicates better if that's such a (laughs) that's an you know it was it was a pretty provocative show i had a chance an opportunity to listen to it and it was was great to listen to because i did hear all these competing voices which is which is typical and there you know again i i would say there's not just one sex that is better Mm -hmm. oftentimes women are able to articulate you know their thoughts and their feelings because that's how they've been socialized so if a man has been socialized in that way, he's also able to articulate his thoughts and his feelings. But in our culture, in, in the Western culture in general, it's not seen as a priority for men in general. But that, you know, that changes. Again, it goes to a very personal um, relationship with your family. So again, if your family, if your father was very, or your father or, you know, Uh, the caregivers in your home were very articulate and they constantly asked for feedback. How are you feeling? What are your thoughts on this? Let's talk about what's going on in the political arena. Let's talk talk about what's going on in family dynamics. That male is also going to be very fluid in terms of their response, you know, kind of responses to communicating, you know, because it, again, we're always communicating so I know sometimes we, we use that word, oh, that person isn't communicating well, but are they being effective? Because we are always communicating with one another. Whether it is, hmm, you know, after a long day, you come home, your spouse is in the kitchen, you come in, you slam the door, yeah. you run to the bedroom, you lock the door, you start, you know, checking out your Netflix series, what are you saying to your spouse at that point, or your partner at that point? So my thing is, how do you think that mm-hmm. men typically communicate when there's an issue in 
a relationship? How do they typically communicate in those instances? Well, often, oftentimes in terms of my practice, a lot of the men typically shut down. Oh, yes. I'd say, <laughs> I, I'd say at least 70%. Yes. Basically shut down and they're not going to be expressive, expressive about their thoughts and their feelings. And another thing that tends to happen is if they do allow themselves to become vulnerable, yeah. oftentimes that is when you, you see they may be vulnerable in a session or two, mm -hmm. and then they're like, nope, this is too hard. I'm not going to do this. I cannot go any further. Right. And, and, and that's and that because it is painful. It is painful right. to get in contact with those feelings really? because this is new. Uh, oftentimes it's new. You know, you grow up in a household, nobody really asked about your feelings, and you weren't courage to talk about those feelings so when you're in a relationship you know you're in a couple of relationship and um, your partner wants you to be expressive let's talk about you know let's talk about our the infrequency of our intimacy let's yeah. talk about <laughs> let's yeah. talk about the financial system you know financial situation that we're in um, oftentimes is just tell me what I need to do I'll do it and that's it there's right. not a lot of dialogue and so it really takes I, I think it really takes um, a lot of patience and it's important to provide a safe space where that partner isn't feeling overwhelmed because again it you know there's a power differential in terms of articulation so if if you're very fluent in articulating your thoughts and feelings and that person isn't, doesn't mean they're less than. It just yeah. means they do things a little different. But they can feel overwhelmed. And oftentimes when they feel overwhelmed, they just clam up. Yeah. Clam you know, up and that, you, that's the end. Yes. You know what's interesting? <laughs> because we women tend to communicate, a little, well, not necessarily better, but we, we express ourselves more. You know what the guys think? They think we're nagging. They call it nagging. And I, I, I just hate that. But they have to realize that they are the ones who are incapable of communicating. You know, they shut down, as you say, and we nag. And <laughs> the part of that is, are we, are we listening to one another, yeah. right? Are we, are we really listening? And I, I think there's an art in terms of listening. Yeah. And it's really important to say, okay, let's find a space if there's, okay, we want to talk about, um, I don't know, give me an idea, a subject you want to talk about with your partner. Do you have something that you are accused of nagging with all the time? What would it be? Right. It would be um, nagging. Taking out the, the trash. Or, taking out the trash, taking yeah, out the trash. Like, why do I always have to do it? Why can't you do it? Okay, taking taking out the trash. That's <laughs> or right. So really, is is that a power struggle about something else? Ooh. Right. So that would be you know the direction that I would be going in. Is that a power struggle? What else is going, going on? on. <laughs> So it's not it's not really about the trash because that's you know that's a you know tiny yeah. little thing but it's it's irritating it's annoying absolutely it's annoying in a situation like that it's probably something a little deeper okay. right that's, that makes sense that's very interesting um, <laughs> I wanted to know in terms of heterosexual couples um, what are some of the typical issues that that you find that that you deal with in your practice with men. Um, and women. What's some of the, the typical issues I think that you deal with in your practice? With heterosexual couples? Yeah. Um, mainly, you know, communication again, That's you know, good. that big C word mm -hmm. that comes up a lot because there, there's just different levels of communication that are, that's really happening. Um, yeah. Infidelity. Infidelity is another piece that comes up. Um, financial um, literacy. Oh wow! It's, 
it's pretty surprising that couples, uh, at least a lot of the couples that I have worked with, um, have not really sat down and put together a budget. Wow. Have not, some of them don't even know what their part, they've been with a partner for 10 years. They don't even know what their earning capability is with their partner. Wow. 10 years? Wow. 10 years. Off and on, you know, off and on, but they have several kids. I mean, you know, it's been in and out. Um, but even, you know, surprising enough, it is, um, that's that's a really big piece. That's a really big piece. And especially um, thinking about values. Yeah. Uh, a lot of couples really haven't talked about what are the values and what are the expectations that we have in our relationship so they're they're just kind of riding away you know it's been i was you know connect you know i was attracted to you initially you know whether it was physical whether it was emotional whether it was psychologically attracted our families are good we lined up why not we just get married we get married and then you're trying to kind of figure out well am i in the deep or am I in the shadow? Right. And, you know, how are our lives kind of matching up? What are our goals? A lot of couples don't really sit down and talk about those goals. And so that's where you run into the issue in terms of divorce, especially in America. <laughs> incompatibility. Yes. Because couples really haven't done that hard work initially. It's interesting that you talk about what their interests are, what yes. their goals are. Are we lining up? Are we working towards these goals? Are we connecting with one another around these goals? And what happens if we're not able to meet our goal this year? Mm -hmm. you know, what do we do to work through that? Yeah. That makes sense. And, and ex it's interesting you talk about expectations because I always say, like, whenever the next time I get into a serious relationship, I want to talk about everything. I want to talk about all the expectations because I realized that when I was married, I really didn't really talk about expectations. And that's a big thing. When you go into marriage and then you're like, okay, you're a wife. Okay, a wife is supposed to do this. A wife is supposed to do that. But we never really talked about it. So how are you expecting me to do these things? Or I'm expecting you to do these things, but we don't really talk about it. I think we all should really discuss don't really have those conversations about. And, and so they mm -hmm. again talking about what the roles are going to mm -hmm. be in the family and it doesn't have to be the traditional role. exactly you you could be you know because of your background and your experience you could be the main you know provider for the household that is fine as long as you understand what your what role it is. is and and the two of you are on the same page about that yes that is you know as a woman you know, non-traditionally, um, the expectation is is for a non-traditional woman to basic. Well, the expectation, if you're a traditional woman, is you know, yeah, you might have a job, but that's not going to pay the mortgage, or yeah. it's not going to pay for college or the expenses of the household. But it it could help us go on vacation. Mm -hmm. Right. A that is changing. And women have, you know, kind of, they have more education in many cases, right? They've been able to get more degrees and, and doors have been opened for them for a variety of different reasons. And yeah. so they're, they're increasing in their, you know, ability to be, you know, financially productive, right? Yeah. And so, so do we need to start looking at, okay, well, I'm going to be the main provider of the household in terms of these expenses, but then we're going to have to work together. We're going to have to look at what your role is going to be. And, our, you know, we haven't really caught up as a society in terms of where the men are in terms of changing, changing those roles. Yeah. The women seem to have been able to, you know, kind of shoot ahead. Yeah. Right. Now, and that's what we're running into, especially. Um, in the black community or in a, you know, black and brown community where, you know, we have incarceration of a lot of black men. So they've taken, you know, a lot, large portion out of 
you know, kind of circulation in a yes. sense. Mm-hmm. And so numbers are, you know, are few and far between sometimes. Yep. Um, so can we, you know, for, for that group that is available, can we now look at that and say, okay, you maybe you weren't able to, you know, finish this degree or you didn't get a master's or, or a PhD. That's okay. As long as you're solid in, in these other areas, right? Yes. We can work with that. But are the men in those positions, are they, uh, you know, open yeah. to that to role that. reversal or that change there? There's some that are who are very confident within themselves and others who say, yeah, that's, that's good, it's great, but, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> right. they're struggling. Right. And, and that's something to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Something to be aware to be of, and and to try to say, you know, how can we work together so so that you know we're we're a package deal here. We're yeah. on the same team. We are not on opposing teams. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm with you because I love you. I care for you. You're maybe the father of my children. Whatever that is, we have the same values around family, around um, you know, around religious. Um, desires and commitments as as well as other values in terms of you know education and some other things so how yeah. can we work together as a team Makes yeah sense. that's good yeah so, um, to what extent do you think the absence of a father in your home has oh, affected mm-hmm. or influenced women and men in our society well I think a Big. lot of that has to do with um, who is left in the home in terms of the caregiver, right? Um, a lot of that is, a lot of that has to do with, is that caregiver who is left at home? Because you, you, if you look at families who've lost, a, you know, whether it's a mom or a dad to illness mm-hmm. or to accidental death, those families tend to do, you know, fairly well mm-hmm. compared to a family who, Maybe the dad or the mom is missing due to, you know, maybe alcohol abuse or substance abuse or incarceration mm-hmm. or um, just an absentee, absentee. parent, right? Yeah. An absentee parent. Well, what are the supports that are put in place to support that family unit, to support that child? So if you have supports that are put into place, I mean, if there's a death of, of a parent, oftentimes the family rallies around and they say, you know, we're going to swoop in here and we're going to take care of these children and we're going to nurture them and Mm -hmm. care for them. But what happens if it's an absentee dad or an absentee mom and due to drugs or, you know, they just weren't ready to have that child at that time and they just, you know, kind of check out of the family. Um, If the caregiver is supportive Mm -hmm. and fills that void, Um, there's a good chance that things will go pretty smoothly for that child. Mm -hmm. If the family is open and has discussions about it, is truthful, is honest about what has happened, they can nurture that child, they put supports in place, that child can take off and fly. The problem is if there isn't that caregiving support network that is there. And if they're they're not honest with the child, Mm -hmm. they might say when the the dad or the mom is in in prison, they say, daddy went to the university. (laughs) I mean, it's really bizarre. And 20 years later, dad comes back. back. Right. What's what's going on here? Magic. Right. (laughs) Um, There weren't supports that were put into place. It wasn't framed in a way that was positive and supportive and nurturing for that child. Oh, so, so, it, yeah. so you think that you have to be honest with your child regardless of the age or what's going on? Because sometimes some moms kind of shield the child from that hurt. So are you saying that the mom or the dad should tell the child what's going on? Where it's age appropriate and developmentally sound, right? And so again, um, do you tell them the gory details? No. Absolutely not. But you can say, you know, daddy, you know, daddy is going to be away because daddy broke the rules, right? 
the end. As the child gets a little older, you might add a couple of other little things because eventually that child is, you know, more likely the child will find out something happened. And how is that child going to feel when their caregivers have not told them the truth after <laughs> that extended period of time? You know, daddy is at the university studying for, you know, physics. That's a long time. Right? <laughs> but what's that going to look like, right? <laughs> that makes sense but I have a a question real fast so do you think the way the father leads impacts the child differently for example if the child you know you just abandon your child versus like a father dying do you think it has more impact on the child um, because of the way the father is out of their lives do you think so from my experience, and, and, and again, it's how it's framed to that child, Okay. Right? It's, it's how it's framed. It's the stories that go along with that. Mm. It's the stories because, of course, um, you know, yes, it will have an impact. I mean, financially, that will definitely make a difference in terms of that child's life, right? But how is it being framed to that child? Woe is me, you're gonna have a horrible life, you're never going to account, you know, amount to anything. Or, yes, we are gonna to have to struggle. Daddy is no longer here. Hmm. We are going to have to struggle, but you're resilient. Hmm. I, you know, we are working together as a family and we're gonna we're gonna work through this. Right. Hmm. Okay. So how does that adult let go of, like, say, daddy issues? Because they keep choosing the same type of men, or they have issues with men because of their dads. And abandonment, too. <laughs> abandonment issues. And those, those are really difficult, I, I have to say. Yeah. The abandonment issues are extremely, extremely challenging to work with because, mm-hmm. again, there is a void, you know, and, and it, there's a void in that person who was abandoned. right and they often feel that they were the reason they were the reason why daddy wasn't here right Um, daddy lives right down the street but daddy doesn't call me daddy 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 you know says he's coming to pick me up but never shows up but he doesn't Mm -hmm. right right those are those are really very very difficult and again what i recommend and suggest is that this may be a, a lifelong process wow. to work through those, but to number one, to acknowledge, mm-hmm. right? This is how I'm feeling. This is what comes up when, because our society, when you think about it, our society has, has you know, basically talked about, you know, this father figure in our lives. I mean, you can look at, you know, commercialism, you know, going back to TV programs such as, you know, Father Knows Best or The Bill Cosby Show, or um, now one of the current shows is Blackish, right? Blackish, it's a mod- more modern day, or This Is Us. So it's it's framing dads in, in a different light. But still, if you grow up and you don't have a dad in your life, mm-hmm now have to fill in you know kind of those blanks and and how are you know you get you actually get to um, frame that for yourself yeah okay as an adult I I highly recommend doing that work it is you know just because you know this was the life that you grew up in doesn't mean it has to determine the rest of your life right that's true that's very important yeah. So um, you touched on this before, and I want to. I'm curious to know. I'm probably going to phrase it a little bit different um, as it relates to divorce, right? So if you had, if you had an advice to give a couple that would prevent them from getting a divorce, or the one advice that you ever give a couple that would you know would help them and you know, not cause them to go down that route of getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. What advice would that be? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, it's not quite as simple right. as just one, 
one piece of advice <laughs> be, because each person in that couple comes with their own wants, needs, and desires, yeah. right? And unless they've been honest with themselves up front, there's no way that you can change that trajectory if they get into a relationship and they realize, well, I didn't really want to be here, right? Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, if they hadn't done the work themselves and know exactly what they were wanting and in terms of a commitment and what does marriage mean, okay, if you say marriage, right? Yeah. Or a committed relationship. What does that committed relationship mean? They've never been in a committed relationship. They've never seen a healthy committed relationship. Mm -hmm. So they're now thrown into this sea of a relationship and where do they go with it? Um, my partner isn't doing all the things that I thought my partner should be doing. Goes back right. to expectations again. It goes back to the expectations. And that's why it's so critical. I mean, that's from my point of view, is to have some of these thorough, deep conversations early on. And that doesn't mean it's not going to change once you're in the relationship. But if you have extensive conversations, whether it's about work, whether it's about family, whether it's about having children, whether it's about pursuing, you know, different interests that you have, whether it's about um, intimacy, you know, yeah. it, there's just so much. And, and what you have at 25 is different from what 20. you have at 40. And what you have at 40 is different from what you have at 60. So one of the core, um, I think one of the core ingredients of that is that the two of you are committed to working through your differences, right? Working through, that is, I love you, I love you today. I may love you differently tomorrow, but I'm still going to love you and I'm still interested in committing to this relationship or this union because I'm, I, I want this to be I want this to be who we are as a couple together right and if, if one person is there and the other person isn't there and they're not willing to do the work to oh, get there yep ain't gonna work it's, you know it's like putting toothpaste back into a tube, tube. once you get it out yes how is that going to work? It's Absolutely. not. How, how is that going to work? And so that's that's the big challenge. I mean, marriages or committed relationships can be fantastic. But the key is, is that that constant checking in in terms of putting, putting your relationship as a priority, priority from day one. Yes. Right, it's putting it as a priority as well as yourselves. You come, you know, your partner, or you were attracted to your partner because your partner had some interesting aspects about them, and so you come together as a couple. And that partner, okay, the partner maybe used to be very active and was in the theater and traveled and you know did things for their family, and now you're a couple together. No, nope, I just want to hang out on my sofa. <laughs> <laughs> like, what happened there? Right. Absolutely. So it sounds like if I had to do it again, I would probably, yes. <laughs> which I will do it again, but I probably would be in therapy for the first year of my marriage with my partner because I feel like there's so many things that you have to talk about and I don't have the tools. I think to have that third party to help you is so important. And just to know that marriage is also, it's a continuous um work in progress and if, if if people can know that at the beginning of their relationship or their marriage I think that too will help in how they they behave throughout the, the relationship absolutely I think that's such a very important point yeah. it is so so important and to know I always tell couples usually I tell couples when I'm working with them 
You have to be an individual. It's really, really critical. It's really important to grow and develop as an individual. It's also equally important to grow as a couple. As a couple, yeah. As a couple. And if you decide to have a family, it's triply important to prioritize that family life also. Okay, so Terry, one of the things that we've incorporated in season two, and you're our first guest of season two, so welcome again. Is we just want we, we ask each guest to just say one thing that they're grateful for. That's how we want to convert show just on gratitude. So one thing that you're grateful for. I'm truly grateful for the opportunity to be able to do the work that I do and to have my health at the same time. That is so so important to have my health, um, the work that I do, and my family. That is awesome. Succinctly said. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again so much for being our guest. Uh, we appreciate you. We thank you for your time. We don't take that for granted. Uh, if you happen to have any um, website that you'd like to mention or any uh, anywhere someone can reach out to you if they need to reach out to you? Um, I would recommend that they contact me through Psychology Today. And my website is www tnighttherapy.com. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And we hope to see you again soon. Yes.